0: Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Good morning, everybody. So it was the mid-1800s, and uh, this is when there were some kind of like daredevil things going on around uh, the world. And uh, there was a particular guy who uh, his name is Charles Blondin. He uh, was known for crossing Niagara Falls on a tightrope, which is uh, pretty crazy. It, uh, you know, over the falls, if you've been to the falls, you know what that would entail. Uh, He was over about 160 feet above the water and about uh, more than 1,000 feet of two-inch cabling that was stretched across the opening of the falls, the mouth of the falls there, where all the water was rushing down, and the maiden of the mist, she kind of goes down there in that boat. And uh, he was uh, up there crossing without any sort of safety gear. Absolutely amazing and insane. Well, his first trip across high winds, the mist, the rain, the wet, the everything, uh, he made it across, everybody was super impressed, and then on his way back, because of course that's what he wanted to do, uh, was come back as well, he even brought a camera with him and set it up and took a picture of one of the signs, and then he promised he would be back on July 4th for it to do it again, and he got increasingly insane. I maybe mean, not literally, like he was actually. I mean, maybe he was anyway. But the, he he got increasingly more dramatic, and so he would do all sorts of uh, of crazy things on this uh, on this uh, high wire, uh, including one time stopping. One of the things he was most famous for. He stopped and he set up a little a little oven, a grill of some sort, and he made a meal. And apparently he was able to lower something down to, to the Maiden of the Mist uh, boat that was down below. They were able to take some stuff off. And this is what this guy uh, did. Uh, pretty incredible. One of the cool things when we were in Niagara Falls, we actually saw it in one of the uh, little museums that they had there, was he took a wheelbarrow across so imagine this—he just beep, 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 you know, the wind and the rain and the, the craziness. He takes a wheelbarrow. Just yeah, you know, I struggle using wheelbarrows on regular ground, and and he's he's doing it, you know, hundreds of feet up with all the you know all this the, the craziness. Of it. Well, one day the story is told that that he uh, actually uh, went and uh, had said to a, a group. Obviously, crowds of people came to see him. Uh, cross I mean I'd like to say that's why they were all there. I'm sure plenty were there because they wanted to see him not cross or at least wondered if he would not cross because we are a morbid people but uh, uh but uh he actually uh he actually asked them, he's like, hey, who thinks I can get across the line? Everyone's like, yes, the whole crowd, we do, we do. He goes, today I'm going to be taking the wheelbarrow across. Who thinks I can take the wheelbarrow across? And everyone's like, yeah, we do. This is amazing. And he's like, all right, who thinks I can take a person across in the wheelbarrow? And the whole crowd's like, I do, I do. And he's like, all right, who's getting in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> no one. Now, does it it matter that Charles has completed hundreds of successful trips across the gorge? Would that be enough? Would that be enough for you to say, yeah, I'm going to get in. I'd like to do that. I'd like to see the falls from that vantage point without, you know, a drone. I'd like to feel that wind and that that mist in in my face. You'd be like, no. I don't care how many times he's actually done it. There's the time it's not going to work. <laughs> That'll be the time I'm on it. No. Would it change anything if you knew for certain that your side of the falls was about to be annihilated? Would that change anything? Would you then say, hey, wait a second, you're telling me my only way across? Is taking a shot with the crazy guy in the wheelbarrow? All right, let me rethink that maybe. This is at the heart of what I want to talk to you about today. We're in this series. It was a short little series we decided to do around Easter, and it started uh, before Holy Week, and it brought us all the way to today, and apparently because... Trevor said, "I can't do an hour and a half message. It's also going to be next week," and so we are we're, we're, we are we uh, are we're in this little series uh, called Here and There, and we took a break from our First Corinthians series, and we decided to just spend some time in the Gospel of John, and that's what we've been doing. And as we've been thinking through the Gospel of John, a few things started coming to kind of my uh, my awareness again, or remind I was reminded of. This this gospel, this gospel of John is actually one of the most important ancient manuscripts in the whole of human history. And I'm not not exaggerating that, right? So when you think of the gospel of John, if you realize that it's part of the Bible, it's one of the the four gospels, you might say, oh, well, it's in the Bible. It's an interesting book. It's an interesting little read. But it's actually way more than that. It's, It's really an ancient manuscript written by a man named John, why we call it the Gospel of John. But 2,000 years ago, this Jewish man says that he saw things and that he accurately recorded them. And the things that he tells us in his, his little gospel, his little story of the life of Christ, it has transformed countless people and entire societies. It is one of the most significant works ever produced by humanity. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating this. If you feel like faith ought to be for both religious people and outcasts, John made a significant contribution to that idea. Not all world religions have always thought that, you know, not even today. If you feel like a person who is caught in sin that the society wants to punish her for, the woman caught in adultery, and if you think forgiveness ought to be on the table, you get that from John. If you've heard of these ideas, that Jesus is divine, or that he is the living water, or the bread of life, or the light of the world, or the good shepherd. If you've ever heard the idea that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that's John's contribution. If you have heard of the incredible raising from the dead of Lazarus, John filled out these ideas and these storylines for us. If you think that spiritual leaders ought to be servants of the people. That's a John contribution in his recounting of the life of Christ. Or if you've ever taken hope in the idea that, that there is a place called heaven and that Jesus has gone ahead and he is preparing a place for you, that's, that's from John. I can't tell you how many countless millions Billions of people have their, had had their lives transformed by this ancient document. But its real contribution comes in this idea of love. So not every one of the world religions actually puts love at the center of human experience. Some actually had been wrapped around power or progress. Some... Have, have captured the idea of emptying yourself. And John has given us this idea that we ought to love each other, that we ought to sacrifice for each other, that we ought to, to live our lives thinking not simply of ourselves, but an increasing way of other people. And not just our people, but other people, people that are way different from us, people that, that are even hostile to us. If you have any concept that retribution and revenge against your enemies isn't right, that love ought to rule the day, you get that from John. And you'd say, no, 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 my parents taught me that. I'm telling you, your parents got it from John. And if you tell me, no, 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 they got it from the society or from philosophy or something, I am telling you the whole of Western thought on this concept of of the love of God has been rooted here in the gospel of John it is hard so it's not just that we love each other it's that the heart of God is love if you have the concept that that the thing that matters most is that there is a God and that he loves humanity that's a John contribution Not every one of the world religions teaches that even to this day. And to the degree to which they're influenced by it. It is almost certainly tied to the impact that Christianity has had. Which has been shaped by John. This ancient manuscript. One of the most famous of its verses. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That idea that God loved the world, that he loves the world, that he sacrifices his beloved son for the world. That's a, that's a John contribution. And John's account of the life of Jesus is historically trustworthy. So before we even get into what it is that John wants us to believe, I just want to make a comment or two about the text itself, right? Because you you receive it like this, if you still use books uh, or on your phone and you use the Bible app or something like that. But if you actually still have a Bible like this, you think of this as the Gospel of John, and of course it is. This is the English translation from Greek manuscripts that are still in existence to this day. Those. Greek manuscripts—they're—they're they're actually here, still scattered—not here at the Viscardi Center. They're scattered around the world in museums and in research places, and and in uh, all sorts of uh, uh, other very high-security kinds of places around the world. Um, and so, what we, what, what John wants us to, to know is that you know, so this isn't this isn't a book of of myths. Right, so many people, they have this idea that, that, you know, oh, you're reading the Bible, oh, the Bible's not accurate, oh, the Bible has all of these things, and it's filled with all of these errors, and it's just, it's been translated so many times over and over and over again. These are actually not true historically. People that study the scriptures and the manuscript evidence, they know that that's not actually true. They just kind of, some people just kind of press that out in, into the, you know, the general psyche of the people, the population, because they don't actually want you to trust this ancient manuscript, this one, or the rest of them here. There was a, a very sad moment for Loch Ness in Scotland. Apparently, they got a one-star review from TripAdvisor. And, and the, the review said that don't go to Loch Ness if you are wanting to see the monster, because you will end up bitterly disappointed like we were. Yes, you will. That is true, because there are, I think, that it doesn't exist. Um, but But... You know We have this idea that the Bible falls in these same categories, but it simply doesn't. This was a written account of the life of Christ by someone who walked with him and ate with him and saw the things that he did. And now some would say, oh yeah, but you know, it was recorded so many years later. In fact, of most all of the books, John for many, many decades had been uh, accused of, or the, the the scholarly challenge was that it was written hundreds of years after the time of Jesus. And so many errors came in. And the reason scholars said that is because it was so clearly a picture of the divine Christ. And they just said there's no way that anyone who knew the actual Jesus could say these kinds of things about him within a few decades of his life. It had to take centuries for this to accumulate the kind of divine God mythologies. And then we continue to find manuscripts and we continue to make new discoveries and archaeological and others. And then not too long ago, our century, what came to light was an ancient fragment. It is actually the oldest known copy of any part of the Bible. It's called the John Rylands Papyrus 52. It's kept in the John Rylands University Library in Manchester. Three leading experts in papyrus have examined it and they date it from somewhere around AD 100. But it's already in book form here. It's not a scroll form. Which means it's already been copied from its scroll form. Which they think was the original form it was written in. Into a codex or a book. Which means it was already some decades between this writing and the original that John would have penned. And when we look at this we realize that within a couple of decades of the life of Christ... And the writing of John, God's provided us with a manuscript, a, a shred of a manuscript of the Gospel of John. Putting the manuscript evidence just hundreds of years earlier, people look at it, they're like, that's pretty incredible. Like, this shows that by any measure that you were to judge ancient manuscripts, you will find the Gospel of John accurate, you will find it trustworthy. The text itself, is trustworthy in part because of the John Ryland's manuscript and in part because of a whole host of other scholarly pursuits and the integrity of the books and the archaeology and things that uh, geography and the history that it recounts and the things that it references in the society at the time. And this is why it's important for us to realize. And this is what John himself said. This is the disciple, he's speaking of himself, who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. John himself is saying to you, I wrote this. I saw this. It happened this way. You need to take take note of this. This matters. It's important. It's life changing and you can trust it ironically by the way the John Ryland manuscript if you wanted to figure it you could actually read and know where it is in uh, the gospel uh, its it's got enough of the words and sentences in that little fragment that they know it comes from John 18 which ironically is where Jesus is before Pilate during his trial and it's where Jesus says that he is the The truth. That all the people who embrace truth will follow Jesus. And what does Pilate say to to Jesus? He says, what is truth? Scoffing at the idea that something could be true and trustworthy. And that's the fragment that God has allowed us to find in our skeptical day and age. As if he's just like, you want to know that? Not only am I powerful and not only am I good and not only am I loving, God says, I am funny. Funny because that is funny to me that he shows up with that little fragment. All right. So, what does this ancient writer have for you now, I have seen many lives change, as I've said, for the good and changed forever because they were willing to explore what John has recorded. Now, any friends of the uh, fans of The Office in here? I don't even know if we're allowed. Anyway, The Office is one of them. I like The Office, uh, and I love all of the funny banter and you know it just brushes. Anyway, one of the the things that I really really liked is when Jim looks at the camera, and he does it so many times. It's like his version of breaking the fourth wall, right? And so the, we, we do this in literature. Shakespeare has done it and many others have, have, have done it. We also have like Groucho Marx and Mel Brooks and others. They, they stop for a moment. From whatever they're doing, because, right, you're supposed to be out there. You're not supposed to be in this. This is the story that's happening over here. Then all of a sudden, Jim kind of like looks at you, and he's like staring into your soul. He's like peering in here. He's like, do you see what's happening here? And and, and a lot of folks have used this uh, over the course of uh, literature and art. And here, we actually see something like this happening, which to me, I just really, really love. So John is telling this whole story. He's explaining everything he has seen in the life of Christ. He's working through all of these incredible signs. And all of a sudden, he gets, he's, he's drawing up to the end. This is chapter 20. There's only 21 chapters in, in his gospel. And it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that You may believe. This is John breaking the fourth wall. He's saying, listen, I've been telling you a story. I've been writing a story. But now this is for you. This, this, what I did here was for you. There's a goal. Dips. This is for dips. This is what, what John is saying. I wrote these things for dips. For you. I wrote these things because he wants you who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. Scott, he wrote it for you. If you're sitting here today, John, from 2,000 years ago, is he is talking to you. Paulina, he's talking to you. He's saying, this, I wrote this for you. I just love this because it just takes everything that is going on here. And it just personalizes it to me. And he says, Robert, I'm, I wrote this so that you might believe. I followed Jesus. I walked with him. I talked with him. I ate with him. We went on, on trips together throughout the whole region. I saw who he was in public. I saw who he was in private. I saw him on the cross. And I saw him after the cross. I saw him as the resurrected one and i want you to believe 240 times the new testament uses this word believe 100 of those 240 are in the gospel of john it's one of the, this is what he does he he is weaving together this gospel and he's collecting all of these signs so that you would believe. Now, now the word for us is almost a little bit too weak because when we believe, like, so you're sitting on a jury and you've been asked to judge the testimony of these people and, you know, you've got to pass some sort of a verdict. And so, you know, you go back and you, you're sitting in the back room and you're discussing it with your other jurors and they're like, so what do you think? Do you believe his testimony? And you're like, yeah, I think I do. I believe his testimony. That's often how we use, use belief today. That's kind of the English idea. But that's, it's not sufficient to capture what's going on here in John. And really even for the Jewish people. This idea of belief was not just you giving mental assent. You understanding something here in your head and being like, yeah, I believe that. Because the Bible also says even the demons believe and shudder. So even the demons understand who Jesus is. They already know who he is and how this whole thing is going to get wrapped up in the end. That's not a, understanding something and putting it in your head isn't sufficient. What he's talking about here, when he says that you might believe, it's more like what we use the word trust for. You might have believed the chair would hold you up, but when you plop down on it is when you trusted that it would hold you up. It's a difference, and it's a significant difference. It's the difference between standing in a crowd saying, yeah, I think you can take that wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls and saying, I'm going to get in. It's putting all of your eggs in that basket. It's putting your butt in that, in, that, in that wheelbarrow and saying, I know that you are going to take me safely to the other side. I know that I trust that this side is actually going to get wiped out and that that side is where I want to be. And I know that you are the one who is able to get me over to that side. That's what John wants from you. That's why he wrote this. And in order to build our trust in Jesus, John pulls together all of these signs, which we can't really spend any a great amount of time on. But you can read through them when you get into, the, into John yourself, and I hope you do. That, you know, he does these seven signs. And he does seven because that's symbolic for John, right? So the seven signs that he gives are actually the, the, remember I told you this link to Genesis and all that kind of stuff And there, this was the perfect week, this was the completed week, and so he's saying, I've given you seven signs, I'm showing you seven things that Jesus did, and these speak to so many different people, you know, if you're suffering, and, and you have loss, and there are people that you miss, and, and that you're not going to see again on this side of eternity, he's saying, I'm the one who raises the dead, and if you have been dealing with chronic pain, He's saying, listen, I'm the one that heals the lame. And if you're looking for something, if you're hungering for something now, you know your life isn't, it isn't fulfilling in some way. and All your pursuits. And he's saying, listen, I, I feed the multitude and I'm gonna give you a true bread from heaven. And he goes through, if you're feeling like you're spiritually blind and the whole thing, this is what he does. He goes through all of these signs and he says, I'm speaking to each and every one of you. And of course, we saw last week, where we spoke about the seventh sign, which was the mercy seat. The seventh sign is the resurrection. It's the death, burial, resurrection. And I can't do this. you got to look back at the Easter message. But the idea that Jesus here is the mercy seat, and all of a sudden, you've got the blood of Christ being poured out. That's the seventh sign for those who know that they need forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Now, there's a problem that I run into, right, when I talk to people about it. And Trevor's got my results for me here. Yeah. So, there are a number of people here who have said, do you believe that you will get to heaven? And a number of you have said, a lot of you have said yes. A number of you have said maybe or no. Not so sure made mistakes, forgot God. Out of the people that took the survey, a number who said yes have said some version of, well, I have faith. Or because in the end, love is what really matters. Still an idea you got from John. Or because I'm a good person. Or no answer. Not because you didn't have the time. So a number of people are saying, I'm not really sure I'm going to get to heaven. And a number of people are saying, I am going to get to heaven. But I'm not really sure about the reasoning. What I think is that God's going to accept me because I'm a pretty good person. And that's what happens. We do this, we have this idea that there is a cosmic scale. And it's balanced in the innocence of our childhood. I usually draw this out. So this is something that you could even share with your friends. But Trevor made me a scale. And so I was so excited. And so, and so you know, we, we look at this and we go, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. And so the reason you say that you're a good person is because you take things that you do that you think are good and you put them on that side of the scale. You say, all right, and what could these be? Well, it could be anything, right? Whatever, however you define goodness. And so what is it that you think? Until so you say, well, I'm an honest person, mostly. And so that's a good thing. And so, you know, it's a, it's a virtue and a vice kind of an idea. I'm a pretty good person. And so that, that works for me. I, I work hard. I provide for my family. So that's a good thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip that over here in the good side of things. Because, you know, why should I not? I mean, I haven't killed anyone. That's got to be good, right? So I'm going to put a big one over there because I haven't killed anyone. That's a, that's, that matters. And then you say to yourself, well, what are the, the, the not so good things you do? And you say, well, you know, the not so good things I do, like, I don't know. You know, they're just not that important, the bad things that I do. Uh, but, you know, maybe occasionally I hide the truth or I tell people that I like their casserole when I really didn't. But, you know, those are friendly lies. And so it's the weight of it I'm going to give very low. I'm going to give it only like five vice units of weight. Right? And then you say to yourself, oh, yeah, but, you know, there's some other things, too. You know, when I was a, when I was a young person, I did some pretty bad things. But, you know, everybody does. So I don't want to put too many, too many on that side for there. And so what you largely do is you tell yourself, the, the good things that I do, I want to give big weight to. And the bad things that I do, they're probably just not that important, right? I mean, if you really compare them. Here's the kicker. You've decided what's good and what's bad. And you've also decided the weight of each one because you're certainly not using God's scale because you know, you'd say, Yeah, occasionally I lust and Jesus is like, Well that's like committing adultery. Like, you know, we should like pile some things up over here. And you're like, you know, occasionally I get angry and God's Jesus is like, Well, you know, that's like that's like murder. And so, like, we should plop you over there. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like, I work really, really hard for my family. Like, can we put everything else over here? Because, like, I've really taken care of my family. And Jesus is like, well, I know that, that you think all of that's good. But I'm telling you that you have spent all of your time, energy, and resources on your own, not on others. And I told you to love your neighbor as yourself, and you haven't even gotten close to loving. So all the things that you actually thought were really, really good are actually piling up over here. And you're like, no, 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 there's got to be a whole lot of other good things that I've done. Like I I was helping, like, you know, an elderly person get across the street. And so, like, we got to, like, that's got to account for something. It has to matter in some way. And Jesus is like, yeah, but like halfway, halfway across the street, you lost your patience with her. And so what you thought you started out as a good thing, I'm actually going to have to put on the negative side because like you lost on the deal overall. And, and ultimately what happens is when you start to realize... That he says that you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, no, actually, you don't understand. Like, we're putting this on your side. And it's just, you don't even have it. I can't break his scale. But you get the point. Like, I'm going to put this thing on this side. Because, like, this matters to Jesus. And you're saying to yourself, wait. That means it's impossible for me to be good enough. And Jesus is like, all right, now you're coming around. (laughs) Now you're coming around. Because if it was possible for you to be good enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. There wouldn't have had to have been a mercy seat. He's saying you are actually hopelessly lost. And if you have put down any form of an answer that says, well, I think I'm a pretty good person then I am telling you, you have missed the message that John wants you to hear. You might be believing in something, you might even be trusting in something, but you are not trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. You might think about his love for you, but you have not embraced his love. You might have said, yeah, I think he's a good guy and I think he's trustworthy and he can get me across to the other side, But, but, what does John hope that you're going to do? John wants you to get in the wheelbarrow. That's what he wants. He wants you to trust that this is what Jesus came to do. He wants you to trust that he saves you from your sin, from punishment, even from yourself. There are a number of you here today who are not yet walking with Jesus. You haven't yet decided to trust him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen, you might be an educated religious person like Nicodemus in John's gospel, and he's got a message for you. You might be a Samaritan woman, an outsider, an outcast. The woman caught in adultery. You might be outside of the in group, and John is telling you that he's got a message, that Jesus came and he's got a message for you. You might might be sick in heart or an eager seeker of truth or a skeptic and, and John is saying, I have written these things for you so that you might come to know and to love because life is, in fact, brutally short. And the next life is coming. So if you answered the survey... And you didn't know, you're not sure, or you thought you were good enough, or it was some vague references to love and the thing. I am pleading with you today. Do not stop this journey until you settle up with what John has written in his gospel. Until you come to a complete and full conviction that Jesus is going to take you from here to there because of his sacrificial death on the cross. If you have written anything other than that on your card, I am pleading with you to not let this matter fade away, not let this sense of conviction that might be in your heart just kind of dwindle off. I am asking you to pursue it. Talk to us. Come forward at the end of the service. You want to talk more personally. You have big questions. You have doubts. Here are our emails. Just write them down. And we're, we're making slots available for anyone who wants to talk to us about their journey with Jesus over the next couple of weeks. We are making slots available for as many of you as want to talk about it. We do not know when this life ends. That's the urgency of this moment. That's why, why John just pleads with you. And we are asking that, that you would not let these moments slip away. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would do the work in people's hearts here. Those who wonder, those who doubt, those who sort of thought they were, they were coming along, but they've based their salvation and their trust in you on their own goodness rather than the work of the cross. And I'm praying, Lord that you would just stir their hearts up in such a powerful way, Lord, that they would, would need to settle this issue once and for all, Father, that they would be able to completely trust and know that you can take them safely to the other side, that you desperately love them. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.